At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one, with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non toxic, non flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. This episode is brought to you by Nice Job. Visit nicejob.com to learn all about the reputation marketing tools available for small businesses. Collect two to three times more reviews, share that social proof on your website and social media, and get more leads and sales. New signups can get $50 off when they mention the HVAC Know-It-All podcast. Visit get.nicejob.com to learn more. This podcast is sponsored by The Master Group, and we all know the supply chain has had its problems. So I want to relay a very important message to you guys. Don't take it out on your supply house. Don't take it out on the counter people because it's not their fault, the supply chain issues we're seeing, and it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. I don't know if you guys know. uh, If you're in the U.S., you might not. In other parts of the world, you may not. There's a massive world-breaking, Guinness world-breaking convoy that started in British Columbia, Canada, and it's moving its way um, from there and collecting trucks to go to Ottawa to protest vaccine mandates. And apparently they're coming up from the U.S. too. So this, this standoff, this sort of peaceful protest is also going to affect the supply chain even more. So my message to you guys is be patient with your supply people. It's not their fault this is happening because a lot of people, a lot of techs I've seen it, they walk into the supply house and take their frustration out on the person behind the counter. Sometimes it is their fault. Sometimes it's not, but this whole supply chain mess is not their fault. So let's be patient guys and let's keep a level head. Welcome back, HVAC boys and girls. So we got Brent Lambert from Hike Micro. That's the way it's pronounced. I thought it was Hick Micro myself, but it is pronounced Hike Micro. So we're going to have an educational discussion around thermal cameras. Uh, A little bit of science, a little bit of background, a little bit of application and usage. And also we're going to talk about emissivity and what it is and how we set it. And Brent is going to give us a tip on how we can get around some of that. So this is coming up right now, guys. This is the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. Welcome to the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. Brent, so I'm glad you're joining us tonight because we're going to talk some thermal imagery and I think that it's going to become more commonplace in the field of HVAC, even electricians, plumbers, so on and so forth, but I think it's going to become more commonplace in the near future. Uh, What do you think about that? I'd love to hear it. It's great technology that, you know what, I've, I've been around the industry for almost 25 years, but I've always felt like it's an emerging technology. Even though it's been around commercially for 60 plus years, there's people discovering it every day and saying, wow, why, why didn't I start using this 
sooner. So uh, thank you for helping get the word out. Yeah, no problem. So you've been in the industry for 25 years. So what, just a couple minutes on your background and what you've been doing within this, this sort of scope of thermal imagery over the last uh, two decades and a half. Yeah, uh, I, I picked up my first thermal imager in 1997, and it was fairly small, battery-powered, and had a great image, uh, Inframetrics Thermocam. And, oh my gosh, I was hooked. Just the, that fantastic moment of seeing your world in a new way. And in my career, I've had roles in sales, sales management, product development. And the thing that keeps me going is all of the people that I get to meet that use the technology and teach me something new every day. So the history of, of thermal imagery uh, through the years till now, how in the last 25 years, Give us maybe like a snapshot of every six, seven years or so on, on how this technology has advanced and how the price point has started to slowly come down over the sure. last bunch of years as well. Like, So basically, how have we advanced in technology and then how is this bringing this price point down to now where it's more affordable for the average technician? Now, so the very earliest commercial thermal imagers, rather than say military thermal imagers, were introduced in the the 1960s. And some of the applications were very similar to the ones that that we see today uh, being used for electrical systems and diagnosing problems, mechanical systems, uh, as well as building science. Uh, Going back, building science was a fairly large application even in the early 70s, so 50 years ago. The thing that's changed over time is the overall size and complexity of the systems and definitely the cost. So if we look over the period of time that I've been involved, the opening price point was north of 60,000 US dollars for a a thermal imager. And that, that really restricts how many people can afford that type of technology and put it to use versus um, a short while later, Price points were down below 50,000 by year 2000. By 2005, they were underneath 25,000. And just in a couple of years after that, it was below 5,000 and below 1,000 right around 2010, 2011. And now there's thermal imagers that can be found for in the two to $300 range that are really pretty good performance values and you know will fit in your pocket or in your tool bag and that and that's a game changer for technicians to have you know the the power of a thermal imager that was only in the hands of someone working in an R&D lab for a large manufacturer or in a large utility where their job was just to be a thermographer versus someone whose job is to make sure that the systems are running properly for that building and they have a bunch of other things to look at besides the thermal camera and the thermal camera just needs to fit into their workflow and help them get their job done. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going to talk about later on, we're going to talk about emissivity, which is which is really important because I think a lot of techs maybe get confused when they're setting it and may, 
some of them don't even sure. know that emissivity exists. And also we're going to talk about some applications that we can get into, uh, especially in the HVAC and refrigeration trade. But first, I think we should maybe tackle some of the the science or how a thermal imager works. Like it's, it needs to see a delta T, like it needs to see a difference in temperature in the picture in order to pick up the differences in color. Like for instance, I was, uh, I was shining, you sent me a couple and, and I was shining them or not shining them, but pointing them at specific places. And then you can see the cold spots are purplish, the red spots are orangish or reddish. So how, how does it determine, like, how, how does it see and the science behind it? How does it work? Yeah. So uh, th- this will be fun to talk about a little bit. So I, I think a lot of people are familiar with an IR thermometer and have used that kind of temperature measurement in their career, right? Yeah. Yes, that's right. And actually, the technology is very s- similar. So I want to talk about IR thermometers and then scale that up to a thermal imager because non-contact temperature measurement works the same between the two, where you have a target that's above absolute zero, so it's radiating some thermal energy, and you have a detector that's receiving that energy and determining what the temperature value is. So that detector will generate a small electrical change depending on the type of material type of detector. Some are thermal piles, some are, in the case of a thermal imager, are a microbolometer, microbridge structure. So that microbolometer that's in the camera that I sent you, it's actually, it measures resistance on each pixel at a, just a finite amount. So there is material on that detector, and you don't have to remember this, but it's called vanadium oxide. And vanadium oxide on that microbridge will change resistance just slightly with very small differences in temperature. So that scene when you're looking at a wall or you're looking at cooking on the stove, the energy coming in from that scene is changing the resistance on that detector element. And one element versus another will have a slightly different change from that scene and read out a different resistance And we have a calibration file that then turns that into temperature pixel by pixel. And we put a color map on that array of temperatures. So if you think about that, all of those pixels, if you dive deep into them, it's really just a spreadsheet of temperatures with a color scale. Interesting. Yeah. So when you say it changes resistance with temperature, what... Does higher temperature equal higher or lower resistance? It equals higher signal for higher us. Higher signal, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's 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 very intriguing how it works. Like uh, obviously, like a, an infrared gun, you, you just got a laser, you point it at it, and it gives you a, an indication of like the temperature the, of the the feedback that the you're getting from that that laser but so so one one thing with the temperature guns and the laser the laser is purely a pointer yeah it's not an active measurement device it's not like Uh, a laser distance where it needs the laser reflection off and that you're having time of flight 
with the, the laser to that wall with a, a temperature gun, that's there simply because the temperature gun gives you no, no other way to point it and know where you're measuring. I see. And, and the other thing with using a temperature gun is, you know, in your workflow, you have to know where you want to measure. Because it's mm-hmm. just going to measure where you point it. It's not going to show you anything else. With a thermal camera, you get to explore and see what's hotter or colder than it should be. Yeah, no, 100%, yeah. Yeah, that's the value of a thermal imager versus a, a normal infrared gun is being able to picture and see what's happening and being able to look beyond just the normal temperature checks that you make in a system. That's crazy because for for some for the life of me and 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 <laughs> I always thought that laser had something to do with with picking up the the reading, but I'm surprised that now I feel very very um very very <laughs> I feel so basic for not knowing that. No, I, it is incredibly common uh, to want to think that. I, I I run into professionals all the time where they're like, no, I I need to make sure the laser is on there but then the next thing that happens is you know if you look at the side of an ir thermometer it'll give you what the spot size ratio is so it might say eight to one or ten to one twelve to one etc yeah and what that means if you look at a laser dot on say an air duct that's in a commercial structure and mm-hmm. and 30 feet off the ground well are you measuring just the laser dot Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it's a 12 to 1, that means at 12 inches, I measure a one inch spot and it's completely averaged inside of that spot. I see. Okay. So at 10 feet, I'm at a 12 inch or a 10 inch spot. A 30 foot, all of a sudden, you know, I'm measuring something that's really big, right? And it's got one spot and an average temperature in that. If you look at the spot size ratios with a thermal imager, you have much, much more pixel density, and you can measure a much smaller target at a farther distance, as well as seeing where to measure. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it, the way you explain it makes perfect sense. And, and that's why if you have a laser or an IR gun, you can actually and then you then you want to invest in a thermal gun you're going to get way more value out of it because of that image it shows you uh and and a lot of us are visual people and just seeing that image and even showing a customer like if you have an overheating motor or something like that and you point it and you say look customer this is why your motor may fail in the next three or four months is because look how hot it is it's way out of spec for how hot it's supposed to run and and these are good visuals for customers too right absolutely i mean all of us are are used to exploring our world visually and with a thermal camera it definitely helps a technician work faster to find the cause of the problem but it's almost as important how easy it becomes to explain to other people what they found and what's going on. And I'm sure they do that quite a bit already, just having a mobile phone and being able to take a visual picture of something that's damaged or corroded or some other problem to be able to explain to people 
why they need to make a repair of the next service. And with thermal cameras, you get to bring it into that same workflow. And generally, it's pretty easy to understand, uh, even if it's, you know, that you know, one of these things is not like another kind of moment when you look at an electrical system and you've got three phases and one of those phases is hot. It's pretty easy to explain to someone why we need to take that out of service and make a repair pretty quickly. Yeah, for sure. And and that's, that's a good sort of um, segue into this next discussion here we're going to have. And, and I think that's the, the applications we can use these. And you just mentioned one. Now I'm going to bring up this article that I read, I, this is going back a couple of years, maybe even longer than that. I read an article that it was a, an electrical maintenance company or an electrical service company. And they would go in and use thermal cameras on large electrical panels instead of going to each terminal on its own, checking them, tightening them, so on and so forth, um, and having to power things down strategically in order to check these connections. They were using thermal cameras and doing this within like, uh, I don't know, like one tenth of the time because they would scan it. They'd find exactly where the problems lie with the, maybe the bad connection because it was overheating. And then, then they would go to that, isolate that one spot, fix it. Maybe the, the connection was bad because it was loose. Maybe there was some oxidization on, on the, uh, on the terminal or something like that. But this is the way they would go around and, and repair it. And, and I can't remember the number, but they said the amount of, ever since they started doing this, the amount of downtime for maintenance issues had been decreased. So I found that really interesting. What do, you, what do you think about that? Quick break, guys. So JB Warranties is a company that offers a warranty program past the OEM warranty period. Now, if your customer is interested in that type of peace of mind, JB Warranties offers a 14-day turnaround on claims and up to $300 an hour in labor reimbursement. That is pretty cool. So check them out if you guys want to offer that service to your customers. Company Cam is a platform that was developed a few years ago to capture information of a job and keep it in one place that everybody can access very, very quickly. Uh, so basically pictures, images, videos, uh, notes, we can take pictures, it'll end up in that job file, GPS stamped location, timestamp as well. So we can go back and show customers what's been happening through a project. The manager at the shop can go along with it and say, Hey, go into that job file and go, okay, this is what's being, this is what's being done. So there's no more emailing, texting with pictures all over the place. So pretty cool concept. Navac guys have come out with the NTE 11 L. This is the battery powered tubing expander or swaging tool as a lot of you guys like to call it. This is a, this is a product that's innovative. We, we know about the, the hydraulic expander they've got. This is a battery powered one. You hit the trigger, it expands the tube for you. So check that one out. Um, True Tech Tools carries all of this stuff, promo code 8% if you're willing to use it or if you want to use it to save some money. Uh, Subco Trade Fox, guys, there's an email. If you have an idea for a tool and you want to bring it to market but don't know how to do it, you can work with Subco to do this. The email address is ideas at subcotradefox.com. Once you submit your idea, they'll get back to you within a few days and you'll take it from there. Blue On, guys, their app has been blowing up over the last couple of years. There's free tech support, okay? There's a forum, there's access to unit manuals, so on and so forth. A very, very cool app you guys might want to check out 
if you're serious about the HVAC trade and, and learning, right? Because we all know that younger techs out in the field don't really want to call their journeyman or their boss a lot of times. They want to prove to their boss or journeyman they can do it. So Blue On provides that support where the younger techs can get on the phone and call for some help. Testo, pressure test, the pressure test function on the, the 557S or the 550S is pretty cool because it gives you a dial, it gives you starting pressure, it gives you finishing pressure, and it gives you the delta P and, and the time, right? So you can actually see if your pressure test has failed by a half PSI, and over like a course of a 10 minutes, 20 minutes or so, and at that half PSI, you have to determine if that's a leak or if that is maybe the, the sun kind of dipping behind the clouds or something like that. But in a, in a real situation where you have a leaking system and can't find it um, and want to verify that it's actually leaking, the digital pressure test is going to be by far um, the best way to do it rather than an analog dial because the digital pressure test picks up a much more finite reading. Anyway, guys, let's get back to the show. So checking your service panels, your electrical panels is a fantastic application for thermal imaging. And you're really hitting on condition-based maintenance versus just time-based maintenance. And it's kind of hard to go from that time-based mentality. I, I was raised that way by my dad with our cars. It's like, you must get an oil change every 3,000 miles. And now with the, the car that I drive today, it has sensors and it tells me when I need an oil change, but that might be once every 10,000 miles. Yeah. And it's based on the condition of, of the car. With electrical systems, if we go in and we open up that panel, there's a chance that we're going to cause an outage. If we go in and we tighten up all of the connections on a regular interval, we are going to cause failures because we're going to over-tighten them over time. Mm -hmm. So it's something where the maintenance can cause reliability issues. With thermal imaging, it's non-contact, it's non-invasive. And depending on the panel and how often you need to look at it, if it's critical infrastructure, you can even put in IR inspection ports or IR windows so you don't even have to take the panel cover off to be able to view those important connections. We see that in, say, data centers or some very high voltage applications, that sort of thing. Interesting. I've, n I've never even thought of having a, a window on a panel. But I, I definitely see the advantage. We used to have a a contractor years and years and years ago, one of these old buildings um, downtown Toronto. It was like a an old century home that was converted into like a hospice. And down in the basement was all their electrical, it was like a bunch of old wiring, but updated paneling and stuff like that. But we would have an electrical contractor come in every year with this like, Look like this, like six or seven thousand dollar camera <laughs> to scan all of these panels, um, which was a good thing because they identified some some problems. And and an old building that's constructed mainly of wood. I mean, you got to be very careful because you don't want a fire starting, uh, especially when there's uh, hospice patients and stuff, and it could be a real emergency. But 
this was one of the things that that we had done with the contractor, uh, the electrical contractor. But now, I mean, it's like I've stated a couple times already. We don't need to buy that six, seven thousand dollar camera. We can buy these lower price ones that do pretty much the same thing. Not maybe with the the the, the amount of quality that the higher end ones do, but you get the gist of it, right? Yeah. So when someone starts to take a look at you know how to budget or how to select a tool uh, and, and not just thermal imaging. You, you take a look at, you know, what do I want to do with this tool? And is it uh, for thermal imagers, I'm going to ask a couple of questions generally with someone that's considering a, a camera. Number one is, are you looking to troubleshoot in your workflow or do you want to have a, a written report to provide to an end customer as a thermography service report? Are you going to charge money for that service versus using it a tool? Because that'll, that'll determine a little bit of leaning towards that higher performance, higher price point. The next question is, how far away and how small are the targets? Because that'll determine what lens, what resolution you need, and then how hot. If it's Generally, you know, freezing to boiling, almost every thermal imager is going to cover that. But if you're starting to get into looking at some furnaces, some high temperature kind of stuff, refractory, well, you want to make sure that you have uh, a thermal imager that has those high temperature ranges. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, what about some other stuff? in the HVAC field that we can apply this to like airflow for, for instance, let's say something very, very basic. And, mm-hmm. um, I used to do this with like a, an IR gun. I've done this in the past where you're, you're unsure of like, you're in a big office space. There's like maybe like five thermostats on the wall. You go, you turn one on to heating, but you don't know which of the diffusers are now heating. And I used to put my, my IR gun up and go, okay, that one is, that one is. And, but now we can use like a, a thermal gun and get a snapshot of these diffusers and which ones are heating. And you can actually see for, uh, you can see some of that throw of the air too, if, if there's a good temperature difference between the existing air in the room and the air coming out the diffuser, you can actually see some of that throw as well, which, is, which I, I think is pretty cool. Now you see, where that air is impacting a surface. So with a thermal imager, we're not going to see the air directly, Mm -hmm. right? The air is transmissive in in the thermal spectrum. Mm -hmm. But if that air is warm when we're in heating season or cold in in air conditioning season, you'll see which ones of, of those ducts are providing good airflow, and you'll see the impact of that air across the surface for quite some distance as it's cooling that or heating that area very directly. You may run into some some situations. I've, I've seen pictures before where there were two ducts in a, in, in a room fed by separate systems and one was heating and one was cooling. And they were just duking it out, I guess, trying <laughs> to see which one could <laughs> could overpower the other. And a thermal image is great for explaining that to, to someone of why something needs to be fixed versus trying to tell someone you've got one system heating and one system cooling at the same time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and one of the things that I want to do with mine is, 
uh, or the the thermal imagers you sent me is is to look at the air coming out of a diffuser and compare it to different diffusers like i've I've talked about this i'm beating a dead horse but i've talked about airflow issues in my own house um several times on this podcast and i want to play i want to i want to go to a room where um, it's it's small and show people look at the amount of heat coming out of this one compared to the amount of heat coming out of that one in this much larger room and that's why it's so cold i am going to experiment and put these images up as way to as a way to sort of educate people on on how you can use them great because i th- i think that is a really cool way to use a thermal imager is, is to look at airflow patterns especially when you have that delta t like obviously if you just have the fan on the cooling's not running the heating's not running and the air temperature is the same as the room temperature you're not going to see anything you got to have that delta t going on yeah absolutely so the delta t with the system as well as you really want to look at the overall building envelope and you need a delta t between inside and outside for that but that's where you can start to see thermal bridging you can start to see where there's air leaks impacting that load on the system and making sure that the overall performance of the building is where you want it to be. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. So we have a, a home that's leaky or kind of leaky or whatever. And, and it, it, let's say it's, it's wintertime, so it's cold outside. And inside we're trying to maintain 72-ish or something like that. Mm-hmm. Do we really do we need to perform a blower door test to get that good delta T, or can we see it for the most part with without one? But the blower door test will just give us an an enhancement, um, an enhanced snap, I, I guess snap picture of of what's going on. So blower doors are great for finding air leaks as well as measuring mm-hmm. the amount of, of how much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah answering that question of how much. And then infrared camera works really well together with a blower door in being able to visualize and see where that air is coming from that you're measuring. And I, I think you had Sam Myers on, on the podcast a, a few yes. weeks back. And yes, we, we actually did. live near each other and have been out on a, a, a few, uh, few calls together. Nice. They make a fantastic product. And you know, it's two great uh, things that go well together, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. And and that's what we talked um, when we talked to Sam. We talked about how we could use a thermal imager to find these these leak points around a home. And I think that if you did, if you performed one of these tests on the average home and you sh- and you gave people these reports, I think they would they would sort of open up their eyes a bit and go, "Wow!" Like I, I didn't know that was going on to that detail and i think if you went around and did this for new homes as well like brand new homes just handed off to the customer and you did these i think that you could <laughs> get a lot of builders in trouble because you'd be finding a lot of issues that that weren't really dealt with during the construction no we're we're heading to the international builder show uh the week after ahr but the the message there for for builders is Let's let's look at that building during construction and find problems before it's buttoned up and make sure that there's fewer callbacks later on. So it becomes part of the overall quality control working with the subs. So that can be 
look at the electrical system. It can be looking at the, the plumbing system, the HVAC system. It's also a matter of uh, making sure that that insulation air sealing part of things meets the specification that you're trying to provide to the end customer and making sure that they're happy at the end of the day and doing it in a way that probably saves you money, but definitely saves money at that back end with callbacks. Yeah, well, 100%, 100% uh, right. And and how many builders do you see jumping on this? Because I, I mean, I find the builders around here anyway, the stories you get, I bought a house from a builder. Uh, the stories that you hear are just like builders, all they want to do is build the house, get their money and get out. And like, we've had terrible, terrible customer service from the builder that built our home and in, in this neighborhood I live in in general, uh, because there was a lot of problems and they would try to just kind of sweep them under the rug and, and pretend they didn't exist. And I get a lot of stories like that from a lot of other builders around here. So how are you finding it where you are with builders? Are they getting more on board with performing these tests beforehand before they pass them off to the homeowner? It's come a long way where overall building performance is a selling point now for new builders and new construction. In the past, I would, I think a lot of that frustration that that people were running into was that buildings, builders didn't necessarily have a great tool for diagnosing where the problem was. And a lot of the problems were things like water leaks. And if you ever have had a water leak in, in your home, water never goes in a straight path. So you don't know, is that coming from the roof? Is that coming from around a window? Is that coming from plumbing, from HVAC? It takes a while to be able to track down where that leak is coming from. And mm -hmm. my builder, we built our house in, in 2010, so 12 years ago. My builder was very interested in what I, I do for a living, and he's borrowed my cameras on multiple occasions to track down water leaks that happened in, in a house that he had built for other people. And that allowed him to, to go from multiple, multiple trips trying to wait for the right rainstorm or the right conditions to then see what's affected, what's not affected, and try different things, tearing apart some of the siding to figure out where the leak is, and finally getting down to the problem. And with an infrared camera, he was able to see and tra trace it back and fix the problem right away. Now, I think I'm curious, and I think the audience is, is probably perked their ears up on that. How would you use a thermal camera to find a water leak? All right. So with water, you have evaporative cooling. So if you have evaporative cooling and you have your house set at 72 degrees right now, but the dew point is, what would you estimate the dew point is? Um, right now, like outside? No, no. Inside your home. What do you think oh, the in, dew point is? Inside the home. I don't know. I would... <laughs> I would, it's, it's, it's gotta Pretty be, low. I don't know. It's yeah. It's, well, it's going to be low because we got the humidifier going to keep it, keep the humidity up in the home. Yeah. But way lower than 72 degrees. Oh yeah. So that, that water as some of it is evaporating is going to drive the temperature of that surface to dew point. 
So let's let's say your dew point in your home is 50 degrees. Okay. I'm just pulling a number out. That means if you had some wet drywall or wet insulation in your home, it's going to be more than 20 degrees colder where it's wet than where it's dry. Ah, okay. Now, the next part is I've I've had some people where they were looking for water leaks and I saw, saw something cold with a camera and they immediately started cutting. And there's times where something's just cold rather than cold and wet. Mm-hmm. It can be cold from thermal bridging. It can be cold from air infiltration, right? Or it can mm-hmm. be cold from missing insulation. And that's where it's good to have a moisture meter if you're looking for water leaks, where the thermal yeah. imager starts to point you in the right direction. Then you have another tool to confirm that it's wet. Yeah, I, I was going to say like uh, some sort of moisture indicator would go hand in hand with with that because yeah yeah, you could you could have just an infiltration spot that's cold and people start cutting it just like you said and and there's nothing there but yeah it makes total sense thermal imager with a a moisture measure twice cut once (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah i don't think enough of us have have, uh taken that lesson i I, i've learned it multiple times So that that is an interesting one. Um, we talked about electrical and airflow, and and one of the, the the very cool things that we can do, and very quickly, and this is a, a misdiagnosed, maybe not all the time, but a lot, is a plugged filter dryer on a refrigeration system or an air conditioning system. A plugged filter dryer can make it look like there's a low charge. It can make it look like uh, there's a problem with the the metering device. Everybody's online joking about the TXV, but it seems like there's too many of the TXV valve, TX valves changed um, out too often when it's other problems like a low charge or a plugged filter dryer or something like that. So I actually just wrote a little couple paragraphs on my app there, the HVAC Know-It-All app for the, for the kids and the students learning that if a system's frozen, you got to let the, the ice melt before you can troubleshoot it. And once it's done melting, we, we want to do a couple of things before we put gauges on. We want to make sure the blower's running, it's going in the right direction. We got a clean filter. We have um, no airflow obstructions that are pe- peculiar. And then once we determine that and everything's good there, then we put our gauges on the, or sorry, before we put, put our gauges on the system, we're going to go to that filter dryer and make sure that we don't have too much of a delta T across the dryer because too high of a delta T tells us it's starting to plug, partially plugged or plugged. And then we, we, then we put our gauges on once we checked all that stuff. So checking across the filter dryer would be like a five-second job with a thermal camera. You turn the camera on and you point it and then you know right away. Now, I'm going to show some of my ignorance. That filter dryer, is it shiny metal? Is it painted? Um, how, how yeah, big you, is it? yeah, it's it's paint. It's it's painted. Some of them are okay. grayish. Some of them are blue. Some of them are black. Depends on the manufacturer, but it's it's mm-hmm. shinier. It's shiny paint. Okay, a, a painted surface is generally a pretty good target for thermal imagers and being able to see subtle differences in temperature. And depending on what else is in the field of view, when you've used the thermal cameras that, that you have right now, you'll see the, the color scale that changes depending on how warm or cold things are in the image, right? Mm-hmm. 
and typically you start in auto adjust mode where it's automatically going to the hottest and coldest temperatures in the scene and setting the temperature scale on screen. And what you'll want to start to use as you use a thermal camera more is to start to also use the manual adjust mode. And in the manual adjust mode, you're in control of what that max temp and min temp in the scene is displayed. And then you can start to tweak it down to where your entire scale is only a couple of degrees Fahrenheit and see very, very tiny differences in temperature if you want to. But that's what's called thermal tuning of those images. And uh, if you're looking at really small differences across in that troubleshooting, that's a way to be able to really see it quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, that's just one of the, the in, in refrigeration is just one of the things, or air conditioning, one of the things I could think of using it for real quick and putting it on a compressor to see the internal temperature of a compressor or a discharge line, because discharge line temperature is very important because if it's too high, it can indicate a problem within the system. If it's too low, it can also indicate a problem as well. So then there's motors. Uh, we can put them uh, against pumps, um, different types of motors, condenser fan, blower motors, and and just get a snapshot of like, hey, what what's going on here? If If the breaker's tripping on a piece of machinery every so often, we can check these motors and these loads or like maybe it's overheating over time and it it takes a while before it trips and there's just so many different things i think we could use these these thermal cameras for to and for troubleshooting right not not just maintenance but for troubleshooting aspects quite often as you start to look at more components like what you're saying they aren't always easily accessible Sometimes it does it does require crawling around where it requires getting a ladder to get up to it. And with a thermal camera, as long as you have direct line of sight, you're going to be able to start to do some of that work because you don't have to make contact with what you're trying to measure. Okay, Brent. So the, the last thing I wanted to talk about with you is emissivity and what it is, because I think some, some techs maybe get confused as to what it is and, and how to set it. So emissivity what is it and, and how should we set it up? And I think you may have hinted on it when you asked if uh, what, what kind of material or paint is on a filter dryer. I think that's my, maybe why you're asking, right? Because that could be sure. used in, in an emissivity setting. Well, it, it can be. I'm going to touch on the, that filter dryer just real quick. If you had told me it wasn't painted, it was bright, shiny metal, then I would say, can we put something on it? Can we put tape on it so that I can measure temperature across the tape, something of known emissivity? So now the question is why? Why is emissivity important? And it's important for what we can see. It's important for what we can measure. And what emissivity is, is basically thermal energy can be emitted by a target. Everything above absolute zero will emit thermal thermal energy. It can be transmitted through something. So say the air transmits thermal energy very, very well. Some thin film plastics, visible light won't go through a trash bag, but thermal will transmit through and you can see through a trash bag. So if you take out a white or black trash bag, put your hand inside of it, you'll see right through it. The other thing that can happen with 
thermal energy is it can be absorbed by another target or reflected by that target. In emissivity, we're talking about what percentage of that energy is reflected off the surface versus emitted. And if it's a very reflective surface, it's going to have a low emissivity value. The closer it gets to zero, the more of a perfect mirror it is. That means you're not going to see the signal from that target. You're going to see a reflection of everything cold or warm around it, right? So that means I'm going to see something different. And I'm going to measure something different. I'm going to measure the surroundings rather than that target. Now, low emissivity targets, if you've ever watched a ghost hunting show on TV, you've probably seen that happen already where they'll take a look at a stainless steel appliance or a glass window and you're seeing a fuzzy figure, but it's really the sound guy or someone else on the crew. I'm sorry for the spoilers, but you're seeing their reflection off of that surface. Now, what happens if you're looking at electrical connections and it's an aluminum bus or a copper bus? There's times where you see something warm that looks like a hot spot, but you're seeing your own reflection because you're warm. So we have to be aware of emissivity and what we might see before we even put any, any setting into a camera. And really, you need to be aware of that for an IR thermometer, a temp gun, too, because they have an emissivity setting. And their measurement works the same way, but you can't see the reflection with those. You have to know about it ahead of time. Now, one of the best techniques when you're trying to figure out if something has a reflection is to move left or right and see if that hot spot or that cold spot moves. And that'll give you an indication that's a reflection rather than a real hot spot, a real cold spot. Uh, okay. Right? So that's just being emissivity aware of the materials you're looking at. And things that tend to be low emissivity, which means they're very reflective, um, a very polished metal surface, so polished aluminum, stainless steel, copper, etc., and very, like I said, polished, smooth. Uh, a rougher surface to those metals or an oxidized surface will make it a much better emitter and less reflective of thermal energy and make it a much better target for us to image as well as to measure. Emissivity is purely a surface feature and something where if it is a very low emissivity surface and we need to measure, if we can modify that surface, if we can put a piece of electrical tape on it, we can measure that. If we can put a little bit of paint or another kind of sticker. I've even seen product development people with printed circuit boards where they need to measure those contacts on a circuit board and they've used Dr. Scholl's foot powder where they could spray the foot powder on, be able to see everything at a level emissivity, and then be able to take the foot powder back off without damaging the electronics. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. More than you wanted to know about emissivity, I'm sure. <laughs> no. 
But if if we let's say we put some tape on something, what would we set our emissivity to at that point? So there's some tables that you can download for actually by brand of electrical tape and and where people have measured exactly what the emissivity is. But generally, it's around 0.98, 0.97 for electrical tape. Okay, so it's a high setting for electrical tape. It, it is. It's a good emitter. Okay. That's good to know. So, so for instance, back to this filter dryer thing. So we have copper pipe on either side. Mm -hmm. Uh, If we put some tape on the inlet on the pipe and some tape on the outlet on the pipe, and we put the thermal, we pointed the thermal camera at it, that would give us a better indication of the temperature difference because that tape is there. Absolutely. Okay. That's a, that's a cool trick. Now, if that copper pipe had some foam insulation on it well that's going to make it something where it's a little bit harder to get an idea of what that temperature is underneath the the insulation yeah because we we have we have um that insulation blocking the the heat signature if you will right cool all right well i mean that pretty much covers what i had written down for us to talk about but if you want to um there is one camera you guys have that that is super cool, and and I'm really terrible with model numbers and part numbers and <laughs> things, but I think it's super cool because I haven't seen a camera like a, a handheld thermal imager where it can link over to your phone and you can actually see the the images on your phone. What model uh, is that that you guys are carrying? Actually, almost almost our entire lineup will connect over Wi-Fi your phone and stream video and in real time. We do have, uh, for Android phones, a device that'll plug right in and make your Android phone a, a thermal imager. I tend to like standalone thermal imagers rather than attaching things to my phone just because, well, I'm always using lots of different apps. And I tend to, with my tools, I don't want a Swiss Army knife. I want a tool that does uh, a specific task. And so if you start to look at the B20 camera from Hike Micro, it's a great blend of performance and price point. It has Wi-Fi. It has almost 50,000 pixels, which is way more than my very first thermal imager that was over $60,000. Uh, you know, a B20 is in the, in the range of around $550 and has fantastic performance for doing troubleshooting work uh, across a range of applications. Yeah. And then the step up from that is the M30, which I, I think you're also oh, trying. And, and that's one that starts to take you into applications where if you need to do some thermography reporting and service for your customers is just uh, the most bang for the buck you know, on the market, absolutely. Yeah, and, and and the ones that attach to your phone, I mean, th- those those are good ways to get the images onto your phone. But like, I just thought it was super cool that you can actually pair up the the tool with your phone. And I didn't even know that you could stream video, uh, live video, until you just said that. And that that is another cool. So, can you record the video as well? I guess you could if you use a screen recorder or something like that too, right? So in the app, you can record video, and in models like the uh, the M30, you just hold the trigger down, and it'll start to record MP4 video right on the camera. Now, w- one thing I've seen 
particularly with home inspectors, is using that Wi-Fi app to be able to put a phone or tablet in the, the homeowner's hands as they go into the basement, the crawl space, or into the attic and be able to have them see exactly what they see with the camera. And we can even stream the audio so you can talk to them from the camera to the phone to be able to say, this is what I'm seeing. This is, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this area where there's a water leak or where there's an air leak or there's some other problem that I want to highlight. Even put that laser spot on it so they see where, where you're talking about and point to it. Oh, the, the laser spot that measures the actual temperature? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hey, I'm, I'm making fun of myself is, uh, is, is, the, way, is the way I grow. <laughs> um, so, but I, I, thought, I think that's pretty cool that it actually has audio um, and you can relay that audio through back to the app. I've never yeah. seen that or heard of that in a thermal camera before. So It makes it collaborative for... Yeah, in some cases, a group of people that are trying to work together on the job site or, or bringing that uh, end customer that you're trying to support and service in, into yeah. that process. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing that we should clear up that I didn't know either in, until the first time I spoke with you is that I've, everybody online is saying Hick Micro, but you said it's not. It's actually Hike Micro, correct? Correct. Correct. Hike Micro, yeah. But we answer to either one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, may, it makes sense. Cause I mean, when you look at it, it looks like it could be Hick, but if the way to pronounce it is hike, just like the way the, the everybody says Nipex, but that's not really the way to say it. <laughs> if you speak, <laughs> if you speak to a German, right? So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Hike micro, just so everybody knows. Anyway, Brent, thank you very much for this. This was um, insightful. I learned a ton. I think that the audience is, has picked up a few pointers here and, and learned some stuff too. And the fact that these thermal cameras, again, are coming down in price point, I think is going to be a huge advantage to technicians in this trade because now they can take advantage of all the stuff we've talked about, plus things that they might not even knew existed once they actually start using it and, and see for themselves what sort of power a thermal camera holds. Yeah, if if you use uh, an IR temp gun right now, an IR thermometer right now, in the same spot in your tool bag, you can fit a thermal camera, and it's not going to cost much more. Hmm. Cool. All right. Thank yeah. you very much, Brent. I appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for yours, Gary. This was fun. Another great conversation, guys. I, I have so much fun bringing this educational content to you guys, and I just learned a ton there. So thank you, Brent. Thank you so much. Uh, Hike micro guys, not hick micro. And thank you once again to the master group. I'm out. Happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.